Forever Latina partners with working women and mamas alike to guide them in achieving fulfilling career and life goals through financial empowerment, professional or leadership coaching, and personal wellness. Find the unique coaching you need to succeed. You're listening to Vero, Ceci, and Irene, and we are Level Up Latina. Welcome to another episode of the Level Up Latina podcast. Today, we continue with part two of our Latinas in Politics series. We wanted to share the perspective of different Latinas in our communities who have pursued a career in politics. And today we have the honor of having Dr. Monica Sanchez as our guest. Dr. Sanchez is the only woman elected to her city council, despite her city being 50% female. Dr. Sanchez is a UC Berkeley grad where she obtained her BA in psychology and subsequently attended UCLA to get her master's and PhD. She's an hermana from Cal, so that makes us very excited to have her on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me, ladies. It's good to good to talk to you this morning. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. Seems like all of the women that we're having on this series are hermanas, so that makes us super proud and excited. Before we get started talking about your work and what you're up to these days, tell us about your upbringing and your background. Where were you born, Monica? Sure. Um, I was actually born in um, a small town uh, called Fontana in mm -hmm. Southern California in San Bernardino County. And um, my mom was born there, my grandma, great grandma, my mom's side of the family's from here, from California. My dad, he's, um, he's a farm worker, a migrant worker. And so he's uh, from Mexico and he would travel um, to pick fruit. And so uh, that's where he met my mom. He was picking lemons and oranges, I think, at the time. And um, he traveled all the way, even up to Washington, um, to pick apples, organ for cherries, and grapes in, in the Central Valley. So he, um, that's um, where, we, where I was born at the time. We were living in that area. Um, I've lived a, a lot of places in California. Um, I lived in Porterville, a small town in the Central Valley. And, um, but I was born in Fontana. I went to Colton High School. I graduated, um, I graduated from high school there. And then I was, um, when I was about 17, I ended up, um, I, I met my boyfriend at the time, you know, fell in love and, and I followed him to Pico Rivera. Pico Rivera is actually his hometown. <laughs> and so I was 17 years old. And um, that's how I ended up here in, in my city. Um, and, and other than college, I've, I've been here since. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to share about that part of my life. Um, you know, I was 17, my first love, um, he was my boyfriend. And, and um, I got pregnant, uh, like, about a year later, <laughs> I was 18 years old. And, and I had, you know, I was really young. And um, so that was a point in my life where my my mom and dad, you know, they were moving, they were moving around. And so I, um, my plan was I was going to stay and uh, move in with my boyfriend and his mom. And so he ended up, um, you know, we ended up moving in and they supported me pretty much the whole time. <laughs> but I had to tell my mom and my dad my plan, right? So my dad wasn't in, in Southern California at the time. So I told my mom and my mom said, oh, okay, go ahead. Go to, you need to go tell your dad. You can call your dad. So I called my dad and, uh, you know, the scariest thing other than telling your mom that you're pregnant is it telling your Mexican dad that you're pregnant. Yes, girl. You're so, uh, 100. <laughs> oh, man. I started getting nervous just hearing you like, me too. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so um, the plan was that I was going to ask my dad to help me. My dad had a van, this old Astro van. <laughs> um, Astro's rock, yo. And so he was going to, my, my plan was he was for to ask him to come help me um, to move my stuff in so I can move in with my boyfriend's family in Tupico Rivera. And so I called my dad and, and um, he was in Northern California at the time. And I was just, um, you know, dad, uh, you know, trying to stutter and <laughs> I couldn't tell him. Uh, but finally, you know, I had to tell him. And, and so um, it was a point where, he he just said, um, it's your problem, you know, it's tu problema. And he hung up the phone, right? You know, it was very hurtful uh, <laughs> time for me. Yeah. And so even today, um, my dad, I told you, um, he's from Mexico. He only speaks um, Spanish. Mm -hmm. And my mom from here, she only speaks English. So I think sometimes we get lost in 
translation and mm -hmm. communication, and we've always had a challenging relationship. But, um, you know, he told me it's your problem, and he hung up the phone, and we didn't talk for many years. So um, that was the point where I was truly an adult, and I made adult decisions, and and my dad believed in in tough love, you know? Yeah. And so uh, that was a tough time to be a young mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it, it's it's definitely an important story to share because we, we know, right, that a lot of Latinas go through that. And having to face our strict parents, our strict, you know, Mexican moms or Mexican dads, or it's just strict Latinos, right? Because we, we because of the way our culture is and our tra traditions. So thank you for share, sharing that. I think it's important for our listeners to hear that part, like the, the, of, you know, you growing up and then how you had to basically rapido become an adult and, and having that tough conversation with your dad. I mean, we were, we were here feeling for you, like, uh, even though I know it's been years, I think even just like thinking about it makes it makes it hard. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing the journey and your dad's background and, you know, working in the fields. I think a lot of our parents did that. My dad, I know, picked lemons. So when when you mentioned that he my dad was actually in Oxnard picking lemons before him and my mom got married. So thank you for sharing that part of your story, too. So. Um, I guess my, my, I, I didn't know that part of your journey and, and being a young mom at age 18, how, how do you get to college and how do you get to UC Berkeley? Yes. Um, so I was a great student. You know, I, I loved to read. I, I did pretty well, well in high school. Ended up actually um, enrolling while I was pregnant with my son at Rio Hondo College. It's a community college right around the corner um, in the city of Whittier. And, you know, I'm a proud alumna of Rio Hondo College as well. And I really think that that's where I got my grounding and my confidence in terms of college. I was the first person in my family to even attend a college. And th that was such a great place for me to get my footing. I had great support um, from the from the counselors. Um, my son was enrolled in a childcare program. It was free. It was subsidized by the federal government. And because my only income was loans, um, it was basically zero dollars for my son to go to the daycare there. And so it was such a blessing to be able to have those resources. I was an EOPNS student. I got subsidized childcare. I had WIC, the Women and Infant and Children program. And so with a number of resources, um, my my mother and my ex mother in law at the time um, I, I'm divorced now which that's another story we can talk about <laughs> but um, she really supported me as well and and we she made, basically moved out of her master bedroom and moved me and the baby and um, my my partner at the time um, into her master bedroom so we had a place to live and so I was basically a full time student full time mom I. I worked my butt off. It was really hard. <laughs> I was tired, but um, my I ended up getting uh, accepted to UC Berkeley. I was I was I went to Cal, um, and my my partner at the time he didn't get accepted to Berkeley, um, but we all have to go together, right? The plan is we we need to stay together as a family. So he ended up appealing his decision, and he ended up getting accepted into Cal, and so we all packed up our stuff um, with the baby. He was a couple months old and we transferred. We, we ended up going to Cal um, Berkeley and they have student family housing there. I'm telling you, there's so many resources. I, I need to write a list of all the things <laughs> that I yeah. utilized. And so um, it was the student family housing was in the city of Albany, um, a neighboring city in Berkeley. And they were older. They looked like military barracks. Uh, but they were affordable in the Bay Area and, and they were subsidized, like I mentioned. And also Cal had um, a, a bus plan where it was free. You get a little bus voucher. So I used to ride the bus with the baby and the stroller and, you know, the rain and he todo. <laughs> and so um, I'm, I'm very... You made it happen. Yeah, you make it happen. And, and um, but I was, I really had to tap into a lot of resources. So we ended up, um, we ended up um, there at Cal and I received my bachelor's degree in psychology and social welfare. And we ended up coming back to Pico Rivera right after. 
you made it happen somehow and you did it. And then so you go to college and then you went on to pursue your master's and doctorate. So tell us what the focus of your master's and PhD. Sure. Um, when I when I came um, back to Cal, you know, it was a tough time. My son was still small. He was still fairly young. He was, um, I believe, about two or three years old. I didn't have a job right away, as uh, most most uh, recent grads are, are probably dealing with right now. So um, I was substitute teaching, um, and so was my my partner, my boyfriend at the time. And he had a lot of jobs. He had he I think he worked a Christmas tree farm, um, fireworks sold fireworks at a stand on the Fourth of July. He was working at UPS, Kmart, um, substitute teaching, like any job that came our way, we had to take it, you know, and, and so um, there was no, you know, yes, we had a bachelor's degree from Cal, but you, we just had to hustle, you know, to, to pay the bills and, and, and make sure that um, our son was taken care of. So I think that really took a toll on our relationship because we were just always um, working and studying and, and it was just kind of like passing the baby, like, here you go. Now it's my turn to go to work. And here you go. It's now it's my turn to go to school. And um, but his mom and, and, and um, family were really helpful. We had a lot of support um, and we had the child care and, and we had a lot of that. So um, after that, um, I was teaching for about two years and uh, I was teaching language arts. Uh, I was a, a middle school teacher. I had seventh grade and I taught um uh, language arts, social studies, and one period of PE. And um, I had a tough year. You know, I, I thought that I liked students. I thought I wanted to be in education. Um, I actually thought I wanted to be a school psychologist. My, my degree was in developmental psychology. Um, and so I, I thought that's what I wanted to do. But when I got there, I had really challenging students, um, students doing stuff like one of my students sprayed another student with the fire extinguisher and the fire department had to come out Wow! <laughs> and, and adjusted. And it, these students had a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, they were troubled students for sure. And I was a new teacher, a young teacher, didn't know what I was doing. So that's when I decided, um, you know what, I need to go back to school and and see how see what I what I can do what I can learn and what I can learn to help these students and I was in a low-income area I was working in the Norak La Mirada district at the time and um, it was it was a large school district and um, it was it was a big challenge uh, for me and I ended up going back to school I got accepted to UC Santa Barbara and uh, <laughs> UCLA which um, was my my first choice school and um, my UCLA was my choice because it was closer to home. And my partner at the time didn't want to move again. He wanted to stay close to home. And so um, I chose UCLA and we didn't end up moving to Santa Barbara, but that was also one of the options. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You, you know, us gauchos, every time we, ha we hear UCSB, we, you know, we raise our hands or go woohoo or um, party you're like yeah okay yeah, yeah. I know. I know. we were all muted but we were celebrating silently like yeah UCSB. <laughs> but we understand i probably would have picked ucla too an incredible experience i imagine to have been able to continue your education you went to two incredible institutions like badass and with a kid people have excuses Pfft, not valid excuses at all yeah yeah you got it done uh went to premier schools and then ultimately you you went to get your 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 doctorate so tell us about you know navigating this academic journey and when when does your interest in politics kick kicks in when does it kick in sure so i once i got my masters um it was, I did fairly well, surprisingly. Um, Cal really prepared me for graduate school. And, and I was, um, I did, I um, did the thesis and I got honors. I had all A's and UCLA, I just kind of kicked butt, you know, I, I guess the fire got under me. <laughs> and uh, so my professor, um, Dr. Danny Solorzano, He's a great mentor of mine even today. He told me, you know, Monica, you're doing everything that the doctoral students are doing, all of your work right now. And um, why don't you consider the PhD 
you just have to, you know, end up doing a dissertation, but all of the coursework that you're doing is exactly the same of what the PhD students are doing. You're just going to have to take a little longer and do your own research. And I thought about that and I said, well, I don't know anybody that has a PhD other than you and my professors. And um, I didn't know it was going to take that long. It took me about eight years total at UCLA. Um, and that was the only school that I applied to, which I don't recommend that to, to people, but I didn't know any better. I didn't know any other program or anything. So I applied to the UCLA um, PhD program in social sciences and education, comparative education. And um, I, I was able, I got accepted. Um, and that was when I ended up um, continuing on to get my doctorate degree. And that was very challenging as well. Um, a lot of time and commitment stress, um, not fitting in, worrying. Uh, and also I had to commute. Um, I was commuting UCLA from Pico Rivera. There's a couple, uh, at least two hours or more, depending on traffic. Um, and so I, I missed a lot of my son's baseball games. And, you know, my, my, my oldest son, he, he really took a toll too. His mom probably wasn't always present, but I think he, he used to come with me to campus. I, I would take him with me and he remembers um, the stairs, uh, the Janice steps at UCLA and, and the hall. And he's taken a couple classes there at UCLA with me too. So he kind of is used to tagging along with mom. And, and, um, and so it, that's where it took a toll on my relationship. Um, and um, his dad and I uh, got divorced um, before, I fin before I completed my, my doctoral degree. Uh, which was a lot of stress in itself, trying to, trying to, um, you know, be a mom and now a single mom <laughs> and go to school, um, go to school at the same time. But, um, you know, I got to the point where I was out of um, scholarships. I got every scholarship, fellowship, Latina scholarship, alumni association scholarship. It was um, running out of money. I had to take out loans. Um, and so I got to the point where I said, you know what, it's now or never. And one of my faculty advisors, they started coming to meet me on the east side. They'd meet me at the Starbucks in Pico Rivera. Um, one of them would meet me at the Citadel, um, at the Doubletree, um, at the library at Whittier College. Um, I think they started to realize, like, she's not going to come back if we don't meet her halfway, you know? Yeah. And I would tell them my challenges, and they really, really helped me. Um, one of my other mentors, um, Dr. Um, Don Nakanishi, he, um, he got bless his soul, you know, rest in peace. He's passed away. But um, he told me, he's the one that put a fire under me. He said, Monica, you know, I'm retired. He had retired already. He was a professor emeritus. And he said, Monica, you know, um, you're not done yet, but I'm retired. My wife and I are going to go travel and I'm not going to be around. So you need to expedite. <laughs> and so um, I got afraid and I was like, oh, shoot, if he leaves me, I'm not going to finish. I'm going to have to find someone else. And I put so much money and time. So um, that that put a fire under me and, and he met with me, um, read with read through my dissertation. Like I would have to read it out loud to him. Um, they give me a lot of edits and corrections. So each week I had a manuscript and I came up with a goal of, you know, one chapter, two chapters, three chapters before, before, you know, it I had a couple of hundred pages. So it was a long process. Um, it was writing the dissertation was the lonely process. Um, you're just kind of on your own. I love doing the coursework. I loved studying, but um, writing the dissertation for me was really a difficult process. And I'm a social person. Like, I love talking to people, going to class and being around people. And so that was the challenge for me. I think, uh, you know, it's th this part of the story is important because as many first generation uh, women, we, we don't necessarily know who to turn to, right? Like you said it, I, I didn't know any better. You know, uh, UCLA was a program that I knew about and that's where where I, I ended up and it was hard, but but it's important to really get those, you know, facts and those details and that part of the story because our listeners are just that, right? First generation women that they didn't necessarily have anyone to turn to. So I think it's it's important to share share those details. And it's important also to have mentors. And you had sounds like you had great mentors. Not many of us have mentors that committed, right? It's always us trying to reach out to them, trying to connect with them. And it's like 
props to your mentors that you know did that did that and met you halfway and really really like held your hand right and, and guided you so thank you for sharing that i think it's important for our listeners to hear thank Pero, you no it's just so trippy like um before we jumped on and started recording, I had told Monica, I'm like, oh, I've met you several times. And she was like, uh, sorry, no me acuerdo. Um, but right now, listening to your story, I got teary-eyed. You know, it's only like, share your authentic self. And I'm getting teary-eyed again. Yeah, I love the vulnerability. Keep it coming. Yeah. So powerful. Those details matter. Folks, look at you and see PhD. They don't see the rest of that. So thank you so much. Look at that. Go for it, Battle. Oh, know, yeah. Like, I'm over here to make me cry. Because, like, <laughs> no, I'm like, making it's me really- cry. <laughs> it's so cool. I told you I'm a Tiona and just I was little, literally just just I'm like I'm gonna listen to her because I'm like I like I know I've known of you I've heard, I've met you before but I don't I didn't know you know you like that and I'm like share your story I told you share your story so I was like share your story and someone will connect someone's gonna be re- relate to it and I'm listening to you and I'm like, this is beautiful. Like you, you say like, you come from a gener- like generations of Californianos and like this Californian family, you know, you grew up in Fontana. Um, and it's always this like, I'm like, that is amazing. Like your mom, your grandma, your great grandma, like you're, you're historically from California. You know, this is who you are. Um, you have, you know, you have that first generation aspect of the farm worker, you know, your dad was a farm worker and you have this experience, but you have like your multi-generational family here, like, and your experience is very similar to to a lot of us that are that are first generation. Our parents, you know, both you know immigrated to the, to the U.S. But um, despite all of that, you still were the first one to navigate new waters and and had to find your way. And not only that, you know, you experience motherhood at an early age. With many of us, run from that. You know, like I cannot imagine myself trying to go to college. You know, going to UCSB being a freshman and, and being able to take care of my child and watch for myself. Like there's no way <laughs> it's a mess impossible, but that's just who I am, you know, and th- the process of all of that. And then how, you know, you, you struggled, you know, you, you, you may try to make, you, you made it work with your, par- your other partner for, for years. And then it got to the point where it was just a lot on the plate, you know, the, the, the stresses that come with life, the stresses with wanting to pursue that education, the stresses of being the first and not knowing how to do that. And the beautiful part is that you shared your experience with your, with your team, with your mentors. And they were like, if we don't help this woman out, she ain't coming back, you know? And the beautiful part is that you reached out, you shared your experience, you were open to them and their willingness to come help and work with you. That's beautiful. Believe in you of who you were as a person and where you were going to be years later. So that's awesome. So thank you for sharing that. Cause it got me girl. Thank you. I think that I didn't realize it at the time. I, I think that I fell into them and, and, you know, I, I think that is a blessing, but I think sharing, I think as a student, sometimes you're afraid to talk to your faculty members because you think like they too are doctors, such and such. Uh, but I, I think just by sharing your story or what's going on, um, why you're not doing well in school. Sometimes when we're failing or struggling, we we hide and we cower and run away. But I think, um, you know, they chased me in a way and I had to have a response. And I told them the truth. I told them I was going through a divorce. You know, I'm a single mom and and I didn't have the money. And, you know, I didn't know what I was going to be able to do. And, and, you know, I cried many times to them and and I felt like a embarrassed fool, you know, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, they took pity on me and, and they really, they really helped me out. And if it weren't for them, I, I probably would, would not have, have completed my doctorate degree. I'm happy they helped out. So part of, of Ceci's question was like, what sparked your interest in politics? And then part of my question was, why was it important to you to run for city council of Pico Rivera? I know that in our conversation, in our introduction, we mentioned, you know, that you represent a city that's 50% female. And you are now the only female elected person onto the city council. Walk us through that. The you know what sparked your interest, and then why was it so important for you to run for city council of Pico Rivera? 
Sure. Um, you know, I don't ever remember the talking to any of my friends. You know, I was part of the group at Manas Unidas at Berkeley. And I, even at Cal and I, I, UCLA, I don't ever remember talking to my family or friends about running for any office ever. <laughs> and so um, I, one of the things that I got, how I got interested was when I was at, um, well, I, I think it started when I was at UCLA, one of my friends, um, uh, she was in law school at the time, um, Anita, um, she had convinced me to run for vice president of student affairs. And so we ran together on a slate um, at for the Graduate Student Association. So she was running for president and I was running for one of the vice presidents and she had two other people that ran. And I said, all right, you know, I, I really didn't know much about it, student government, you know, um, but I know I'm here late and, you know, if I, I can just, you show, tell me what to do, what I need to do. And, and so she was really interested in that and interested in, in political affairs and things because she was an, a, a law student and uh, also an Edmana from Berkeley. Um, but we were at UCLA at the time. And so I said, sure, okay, you want to do it? I support you all. You need me, I'll, I'll sign, sign me up too. <laughs> so, um, so she convinced me and we ended up losing. Uh, we lost. Mm -hmm. And I think only one of us, a Latina on the slate, she won one of the VP positions, but the rest of us lost. And it was against, they were primarily white males. That's usually who, who were the leadership. And I remember they were like from the engineering department. UCLA, there's um, North Campus and South Campus. And North Campus is like the Chicano studies and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like a, me, like the, the social sciences, the Latina. And then the South Campus with like the sciences and the engineers and the doctors and dentistry. So um, mm -hmm. it was the South Campus that pretty much ruled student government at that time. And um, <laughs> not to say there's anything wrong with men or, or white men. I, as I told you, I have mentors that are men, you know, Latinos, whites, and Asians. But um, that's who were the representation and the leadership at the time in our student government. So it was sad. We lost. Um, and, you know, but for some reason, I think um, they liked me or my campaign or what I said or there was something. And they appointed me to the... Um, to the Student Services Commission. And so I ended up serving as a commissioner under their leadership. And so after my year as a Student Services Commissioner, we worked well together and I just was trying to do projects on the campus and see how we could support students. We used to host these grad bar events, basically social networking events. So it was kind of like Edmanas all over again, I think for me. <laughs> um, we'd have like uh, platicas, you know, and, and chats with professors. And that was part of my job to hold, host um, community services type events as well, get people to come out and volunteer for tutoring or let them know about things that were going on in campus. And um, so I really enjoyed that part. And while the president at the time, he was graduating and he was like, Monica, I think you should run again. I would support you if you ran for president. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Well, I'll think about it. <laughs> and so I ran for president of the um, student uh, graduate student association. And that year I won. And so I became president. <laughs> and I think my photo is still in Kirkhoff Hall. Um, oh. And that still makes me proud too, because it's, as I mentioned to you, probably one of the one out of two Latinas that were presidents of the Graduate Student Association, because there's, um, you know, less than one percent of Latinas actually get a Ph.D. in the nation or even any doctorate, any doctorate in the nation. And so um, it's it's very I think it's important. I hope that when other graduate students go in there, they they uh, see our pictures up there and say, hey, there's a Latina up there and I, I can I want to be up there too. So I think that's why the, that representation is really important. Props to Anita, man. She, she's she been my mentor for years and years and years. And like when I was in law school, uh, when I was applying to law school, when I was taking the LSAT, and even as a twin mom, like, oh my God, Anita, I'm expecting twins. So props to Anita. I know she's uh, she's come up a lot in our episodes in the past. Mm -hmm. Can you repeat that? What, what percentage of Latinas get their doctorate degree in the nation? Less than 1%. Oh, wow. That's the last Amazing. data that I saw, but, you know, you can't have less than one person, but I would say one Latina 
and all of all the doctorates and, and, um, you know, and, and I find that in a lot of places. So I get excited when I see other, other Latinas, PhDs, EDDs, uh, JD, whatever your doctorate is in, I, I get really excited because it's, it's hard work. <laughs> I know. So it's, it's really rewarding. Um, but to get back to the city council part, um, I never thought that I would run for anything in the city. Um, I, I think I kind of fell into it and I think I got more like recruited for it. Um, similarly, like I told you, Anita recruited me for that slate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the, I, when I was in Pico Rivera, I had graduated. I got my, um, I got my PhD and, you know, things were really stable. I, I had a job. I was working for the um, LA County Office of Education. Um, and where I work right now, I work in student services. And um, basically, I specialize in alcohol and drug um, and tobacco prevention and manage several grants that come in from state and federal and county sources. And I work with several school districts. So, you know, I love my career. I love my job. I never knew that it existed. Um, I, I'm not exactly a classroom teacher anymore. I, I don't teach in front of a, a class room. When I had that job, I, I felt very stable. And I, um, I was thinking to myself, you know, I want to do something. I want to get involved in the city. You know, I, I guess I was getting bored. <laughs> and so I, that's when um, one of my colleagues, one of my friends had said, you know, Monica, I know that you're a Democrat. Why don't you try to get involved in a local Democratic club? And so I signed up to uh, be a part of the LA County Democratic Party. Down here, it's by district. So I was part of the 58th Assembly District. At that time, you had to put your name and kind of run. Um, there were seven, seven slots open, and you have to put your name on it. I didn't realize how competitive it was out of my ignorance. There was over 20 people, and it was like a formal ballot that you had to fill out paperwork from the county. And I had to get people from the city to sign, um, you know, to for my petition to sign and say, yes, you know, they'd support me. So I turned in the paperwork um, to the county, and my name was actually on the list. And you put your name and your occupation, and people voted for me. And I, I really had only put stuff on social media. It was basically like no money, grassroots like, I'm just a mom and uh, educator, and I just want to get involved, so vote for me. <laughs> and so so I ended up being um, selected. I was one of the top um, vote getters on there. And I know that some people do vote that way. I used to vote that way for, like, the judges. If I saw, like, a Latina name, I'm like, judge, yes. <laughs> I picked those names. So I, <laughs> I did I that before, too. <laughs> Yes, I sadly do that still. Like, I don't know if that's the wrong thing to do, putting myself on blast. My last name is Sanchez, girl. So you better believe yeah. I was trying to vote three times if your last name was Sanchez. <laughs> yes. Our congresswoman is also named Linda Sanchez. And so I think that around that time, she was running for um, re-election to Congress. And so all her signs were in the city. And so we're not related. We just have the same last name. And what a coincidence is I do have a sister named Linda <laughs> <laughs> Sanchez, but um, I w I benefited from that, and and I ended up getting um becoming a representative um for the um LA County Democratic Party in the 58th Assembly District. So I was a delegate. I got to go to all the Democratic conventions. I got to vote at the state level, the county level, um, and that's where I got more interested in um, the political scene. My role was um, I became chair of, of the Democratic um, Party for our, our, our delegation in the district. And part of my role was to interview candidates that were running um, for city council, school board, local board races. And I was one part of the panel that would convene other members to volunteer um, and interview Democratic candidates. And then we got to vote who we wanted to endorse. And then they could put the, the LA County Democratic Party logo on their materials if they received the endorsement. So I was on the other end of the of the aisle interviewing the, the political officials that were running. They were candidates. And um, that was kind of my first experience in working with um, elected officials. So you're like, man, if I'm interviewing these guys, these people, I could totally do this. I'm sure you're like, you felt that way at one point. <laughs> 
I'm, I did. I was thinking to myself, like, oh my goodness, you know, we are not endorsing this person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there were a lot of good candidates too, and people that I would keep in touch with, um, people that are, are still my friends. We don't live in the same city. Um, and I, I think that was a place where um, you can definitely um, get involved and meet people and, and meet like-minded people or, or people that are different and, and network and, and, and find um, resources with each other, work together. Um, that's really cool. I'm, I'm really glad you explained that process because many people just go like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for city treasurer. Or I'm going to go for this, but you're, you really learned the, what it takes to get there and the behind the scenes of it. So you had a really good general understanding of how the, the politics, your local government worked. So that's really, really cool that you're giving us this insight because many times we're just like, Oh, how do I get involved? And we think it's going to be an easy step to get involved in our local government. And I really appreciate you sharing, you know, the whole background story, like, you know, how you ended up in a sense, getting, getting that general interest in politics. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I forgot to mention as well, um, one of our hermanas, you probably know her very well as well, uh, Senator Milimon. Um, she mm-hmm. was running for school board as well around that time. And I even went to Santa Barbara and I went canvassing in, I think it was Golita. And I remember it was so beautiful with the uh, mariposas, the the um, the grove that's out there. Oh, and- yeah. I thought it was so beautiful and I had so much fun knocking on the doors and talking to people and asking them to vote for her. And um, so that was my first experience um, canvassing. Uh, but canvassing in Santa Barbara is way different than canvassing in Pico Rivera. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think she gave me a really nice area. I was in Golita. Um, you know, I didn't get chased by any dogs. People were really nice to me in Santa Barbara. And, um, you know, families that would be like, oh, tienes hambre, you know, de, de, de carne asada. Or they'd give me uh, manzanas from their tree and bottled water. Oh, yeah. You know, they were really... I think they were excited to see Latinas out there, you know, um, asking for support of another Latina. So uh, it was a really good experience that I had canvassing for her. And and I went back many years so to help her. Um, she ran for assembly right after that. And I remember going in October, it was pouring rain. And um, I went to go canvass for her as well a couple of times over the weekend. And then um, when she was running for Senate again this past year so, um, she's been a role model and and uh, definitely an inspiration and and um, you know she was the first Latina elected to um, that to represent that district for assembly yeah. and so um, I think that she really kind of showed us showed us a, a, a way showed us a portion of the life and so I recommend to women that are interested in running to volunteer for a campaign you get to see you know phone banking canvassing you kind of get to see the the you know grassroots level of what it's going to take it's it's a lot of work then knocking on doors talking to people and when you open that door they, they don't see the candidate right you're they're seeing you so the way you represent that candidate it's like also a big thing but it's it's one of those things are like oh i don't think i'm meant for this or either you are like i'm down to get chased by a dog i'm down to be you know not have someone open the door or someone close the door in my face you know so it's Yes. on the phones being told, leave me alone. I don't care about your candidate. They suck. Whatever it is, it's it's a lot. You have to really have thick skin and determination. And you have to have the right, the right mission, the right purpose for doing it, not just for fame or recognition. It's it's really a lot of work. Definitely. And and I think people think that, you know, politicians don't have a good name in, in most circles. They really don't like mm-hmm. us. But, um, you know, I, I like what Belen said, um, that we are public servants. And I do consider myself a public servant. Pico Rivera is a very small city. We get we don't get paid a lot of money, um, although it's like a full-time job. We stay up late. We have long meetings. Holidays, we have to show up for a lot of city events. We don't get vacations or or rest, you know, and we get a lot of flack for things that might not even be our faults. But um, I think people don't realize that you really are putting in your time that um, I don't I don't watch Netflix. I don't have a lot of free time. People ask me, like, what are you watching on Netflix? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me which, what I should watch on my next vacation. <laughs> so, <laughs> on my um, vacation. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't, I don't sleep a lot. I, I work at night and, you know, I have to check a, a lot of email. It's an additional full-time job, but I think for Pico Rivera, we get paid a, a one-time stipend. It doesn't matter how many hours you put in. We get about a little more than base stipend of $800 a month. So if you divide that by the amount of hours, it's probably very, very, very low. But, um, you know, I don't do it for the money. I didn't even know that I was going to get that stipend at first. But people think we get a salary and we're not like a full-time staff. We basically are volunteers <laughs> um, putting in working hours. And and um, we are not a rich city like many of our cities in the Southeast. And there is a cohort of us that are role models. They were role models to me. Like Belen, she supported my campaign as well. She helped um, plan a fundraiser for me, which is an another thing that you have to do. You have to raise money if I was a, I, you know, I'm a single mom. I didn't have money to pay thousands of dollars for my own campaign. So I have to ask people for money so I can buy yard signs and brochures and things to give out or else how am I going to get my message across, you know? So if you don't have money yourself, independently, you can't run, you need to find money somewhere, right? So fundraising was is a very a very challenging thing for for us I think Latinas. With mentioning that, could you kind of can give, give a little bit of insight into you know what is needed to prepare to prepare for a career in public office and then you kind of hit on some of like what could be the lows and you really are public servants like what are some of the highs and the lows of the field and you don't I mean you don't have to give us too much at least give us a little bit of an insight into that for anyone that might be thinking about career in public as a public servant I wanted to share you know the first time that I ran my experience there was a seat open our our council member became the senator And so it was a special election in the city. So it was one seat and only for the term of one year. So this was a vacancy. There was no incumbent. And I think you have to look for those opportunities. Like there might be an opening, whether it be city council or school board or or treasurer. If there's an opportunity where there is no incumbent, you probably have a better chance to get in. So I did not want to run. Like I mentioned to you, you know, I was like, no, no, no. I have a full-time job. Oh, um, I was a parks commissioner. Um, I was appointed by the mayor of um, the city at that at, of Pico Rivera. He was the mayor at the time. And um, I was the mom that my sons were in sports year round. So my son played baseball, soccer, basketball, um, football, swimming in the summer. So I was at the parks all the time. And especially with, with my, um, my younger son, And so I would start noticing like, oh, there's graffiti on the slides or the lights were out or the, there were holes in the grass and the kids, you know, um, sprained their ankle because they couldn't see, you know. And so I would be sending messages to the city and the mayor and I would call and I would report things. You know, I was like the nagging lady, <laughs> you know, like this is broken. This is not working and kind of be complaining, um, not in a rude way, but I was just always at the meetings. I would go to the council meetings and the planning meetings and, and kind of listen in on what they were talking about. Pico Rivera is not the richest city. Um, so I attended a, a council meeting one time and I remember the council members were discussing how they were going to cut the budget because we didn't have enough money for certain things. And one of the council members suggested eliminating crossing guards because the city paid for the school, the crossing guards to walk people on the, on the streets. I'm thinking to myself, he must not have any kids. Have you ever been to in front of a school, any school on a normal busy um, morning and, and after school during pickup, you know, a kid's going to get hit. Kids don't know they, they run, you know? And so the city, um, he his rationale was that well that's a school issue and the school board should be paying for that or whatever his his rationale was but i just thought to myself like this man doesn't have any children and he probably is not dropping off his children at school in the mornings and um all of them were men on the city council um all are primary all were latino uh, we are we are a latino um city primarily And so I, I just thought to myself, um, you know, these people are making decisions for my children and they don't even have any children. And um, I think some of those decisions were not the best. And so <laughs> it kind of sparked me a little bit. And um, there, you know, there was definitely lack of representation. There hadn't been, there were no women on the city council. Um, not to say that I want the whole council be to be women. I, I think we need to have 
um, representation in terms of party. If, if 50% of the women are in the city, then maybe we should have 50% of the people on the council um, be women as well. And so to me, that's fair. And, and I have two sons. I want them to have the same opportunities that I had. I'm not like girl power down on the men. You know, I have many mentors that are men that support me. And I think sometimes people confuse that like Latina power, woman power with man hating. And I think we have to be cautious of that, not to alienate our male allies who really do support us. Um, because there's a lot of, of men that do support me and, um, and have my back in more ways than, than I can even think, even think of. <laughs> that happened. Uh, there was a vacancy in the city and um, I was the only woman running um, against three other males. And I was very much intimidated myself. You know, I thought I was Dr. Sanchez and, and, you know, um, I had the support of one of my colleagues as well. Um, he was, um, on the city council member. He was a city council member. He was the, the outgoing mayor and, um, he was the one that encouraged me to run. I was his parks commissioner. Um, and then I had been a planning commissioner. I was a parks commissioner for five years and I loved that. You know, I really wanted to stay comfortable there because you don't have to be elected. You don't have to run money. I just had to report to the mayor and I got to attend all the um, park events. And, and so it was, it was a lot of fun and he pushed me and he was like, you need to be on the planning commission. You need to learn about, and I'm like, no, 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 I don't know nothing about potholes and lights and I don't care about construction. I don't know nothing about that. He's like, Monica, how do you think parks get built? How do you think we get money for this? Like, you need to know, you need to learn the scope of what, how we're getting that park. And I was like, okay, you're right. So he, he pushed me to learn more. And, um, and then that's when that vacancy came up. And so when I'm running again, I'm running up against all men and there was a candidate forum that was going to be hosted at the city. It was going to be like a debate, so to speak, with all the candidates. So I was invited and I was so distraught when uh, the flyer came out for that event. There was a photo of a man in a gray suit on the podium. It was like a clip art advertising this candidate forum for Pico Rivera um, City Council. And I saved it because I'm just like, that really angered me, you know, like, hey, how come it's a man up there? Like, I'm a woman. <laughs> like, <laughs> And so I, I felt upset, you know, and, and um, there's one thing I learned at UCLA. It's called microaggressions. And whether they intended or not, it was just kind of the representation that they put up there that like what men can only be council members and you have to wear a suit to be a council member. Um, and so that kind of played into the representation issue. And so um, I saved that little thing and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to kick all their butts. And I, and I wanted to just, I just tried my best and I was knocking on doors and you know, everything that, that my dad taught me, like, don't talk to strangers, you know, callada, be quiet, you know, don't talk. Um, that went out the door because when you run for city council, you have to talk to everybody and anybody. Like, I'm chasing people on their porch. They're watering their lawn. I'm calling people three times. <laughs> I see someone in the middle of the street and trying to give them my brochure. Your goal is to talk to um, talk to every voter, talk to every resident. You know, I would go to different parts of the city. I went to every event. Um, and so I'm just talking to people and trying to introduce myself and trying to get them to vote for me. So I think if you're an extrovert and you like talking to people, you definitely, uh, you definitely will be good at this type of, of job. And, and I like talking to people, <laughs> but, um, but I think it's, it's important as well to, to just be present and be out in the community and talking to people, whether you're at the park or, or, you know, maybe you don't want to be as aggressive as me, um, chasing people down, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I really, I really wanted to win and I tried everything, phone calls, um, text messages, emails, social media, there's just so many, every possible um, method that I could find, I, I did it. So I ended up um, the top vote getter for that year and I won and um, I was a city council member. I was the first woman elected in whew, over, I think a decade or more or something. And, um, and so that was, but I, it was only a one year term. So I had to run the next year right after um, so I was elected in November of 2019 uh, to the city council. And um, unfortunately, three months later, COVID hit. That was when the pandemic hit. 
and everything was shut down and it was a very depressing time. You know, it was, um, we had to make the decision to shut down our parks. Um, you know, schools were already shut down. We, we had to shut the city hall down. Um, we ended up working remotely. We had to um, do all of our meetings through Zoom and uh, people were sick. Uh, we got all of the numbers. We, um, all of our senior centers were hit pretty hard with deaths and um, people lost jobs. Bus- our businesses have shut down. Um, our Sizzler, our Chuck E. Cheese, um, so many businesses have been closed and still are closed right now. So our city really took a big hit. And for me, it was um, a point where I felt down. Like, I am a councilwoman. I'm a council member. I should be able to do more than sit here on my computer. And I ended up um, joining up with my neighbor. He's, um, he's a pastor of a local church. And he has um, a connection that he started giving out food as part of a food pantry. And so we decided to do weekly food giveaways, boxes of food to families. And so in April of 2019, I thought, you know what, food is a necessity. And, you know, my dad picks food and, and, you know, that's very important to me is making sure we have access to healthy food. These food boxes have um, celery and um, carrots and um, apples and milk and eggs. And I think the least we can do is feed people that don't have jobs, right? Maybe they lost their job or maybe they're sick and they can't, they can't even go to the grocery store. And at that time, people were hoarding the grocery stores. Remember, there was no toilet paper, there were no eggs. And so people were um, really struggling to get access to food. And that's when we started um, doing every Saturday. And even up until today, we're still doing it every Saturday, giving away boxes of food, about 400 boxes per, per, um, per week. It's something that we came together with uh, the community to do and provide a resource um, for other people. That's just incredible. Everything that you were able to do because you felt I can't just sit at home and be on Zoom. You know, you took it to the next level, which is so impressive. And because of that, I want to know, what do you want for the future? We need more of you and we need more people that look like you, more first-gen Latinas in politics. And what are you going to do as you continue to hopefully stay in politics? Because you've been such an incredible public servant and it hasn't been easy. Clearly, it takes a lot of grit, a lot of passion. You have to stay the course in this career. If there's anything you and Belen have taught us, it's that it can be a thankless job, but somebody has to do that job and we need more people that look like us because how are they going to do the job with us in mind? How in the heck are they going to be able to do the job if they're themselves not parents, they're not individuals of color, they're not maybe going hungry? So tell us, I know that's a loaded question, but tell us how can we have more of us in political careers? Sure. Um, well, I just won my reelection. So at least for four years, uh, I'll still here. I plan to stay in Pico Rivera. And my son is my son is eight years old. So I do um, wish to stay locally. And you know, that's a challenge as a mom. Sometimes I, I get resentful when um, my colleagues are just talking and talking and it's 10 o'clock at night. And I know that they don't have children. And I remember one of my colleagues made a comment like, I'm wor- I'm willing to burn the midnight oil. Like he wanted to stay later. And I'm just thinking to myself like, oh my God, I'm starving. I'm cold. My son's probably at home waiting for me. It's past his bedtime. And, you know, my 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 family, my mom and my, my older son helped to babysit my son for me or family members and friends. But it's still late at night and and I'm cold and I'm hungry. So... On those days, if you ask me what my future in politics is, I'm probably going to be like, um, I'm going to retire in four years <laughs> and <laughs> be a parks commissioner again. <laughs> oh, you can't. No, but I get it. I understand. You've no. also paid your dues at some point, right? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we, we, we couldn't have, I wouldn't have predicted what happened with a pandemic. I think if an opportunity were to come, I, I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, when, when Linda Sanchez is ready to retire, maybe I could take over and be her Sanchez. <laughs> I'm willing to go, you know, I, I felt like well, I went where I was needed. Um, you know, I work in education and people ask me like, well, why didn't you go to school board? And I was like, 
I don't know, there, there was no vacancies at the time, you know, and, and it was kind of a hot mess on that side of the, the school board. And I really didn't have interest in that. But um, I ended up running for city council because there was a vacancy. It was a one year, one term. No, nobody was in that seat. And um, as I mentioned to you, there were no women. And, and so I think if an opportunity were to come, an opening like that again, then, then I, I probably will look to that and, and see how, how I can move forward. And, but it is a challenge, you know, if, if I go to Congress, move to Washington, D.C., I have to move my family. And if I go to Sacramento, if I become a senator or like, my, like Monique Limon, <laughs> um, I have to move to Sacramento for, for, for the week. So it's, it's a challenge when you have children. I totally understand that. And I don't want to disrupt my son's life or his schooling. Um, but I, I think I will, you know, I will make those decisions when I get there. I, I hope I, I make the right decision. And um, I'm, I'm going to keep learning. I participate in a lot of Zoom calls from Naleo. Uh, right now, mo- all of our training is through Zoom. <laughs> and so I, I really like um, the trainings and learning that I'm, that I'm doing right now um, at the national level. So that, that's an organization that's really helpful um, for other women as well who want to get involved. I participated um, in Latinas Lead. Um, that's another statewide organization. Um, and Manas Unidas, of course, um, that one is uh, college um, college related. We have so many chapters and I attend the conference. I was a speaker prior to the pandemic. Um, so sharing the information, um, Emily's list, um, and I have a list of resources, which I'll share for you and, and you can post it, um, of, of organizations that um, give webinars and have information on how to run, how to fundraise. And, um, you know, I think just by supporting another Latina that's running, you yourself learn there were a lot of, I have a lot of volunteers um, that supported me and came out to my campaign. And I had two students, I remember, they went canvassing with me one time and and they do phone banking. And they, she was like, I think I could do this, you know, like she, I think she might be a future, a future uh candidate. So that's kind of how you learn the grassroots, um, what's needed, but you really do need a team. You know, I, I believe Latinas, we can do it all, but not, not alone, not by ourselves. Um, we have, we need, we need a support network. Um, and, and maybe we can't do it all at the same time either. You know, when I was, when I was working on my PhD, that was my baby, so to speak. Um, you know, when I'm, when I was campaigning, that was my baby, you know, and, and even my political consultant told me, he's like, Monica, you need to only be doing two things, talking to voters and raising money for for your campaign, fundraising. You need to get money. He said, if it's your son's birthday, too bad. Your tío's wedding, too bad. (laughs) He's like, you're not doing anything or going anywhere for these next three or four months. Do not even think about it. And so you really have to focus that time to your goal. And so I think that's what you have to do is just stay focused. <laughs> that is incredibly admirable because I know firsthand as a nonprofit executive director, like fundraising takes over your life. I can't imagine a politician where like you have got to be okay with it. You've got to be okay with being away from your family, raising those dollars. It's all for a greater good. Like I see why, but you are making so many sacrifices. You're making so many sacrifices, take so many no's for people that don't want to donate, not take that personal, not let that get to you. You have to work in a room where many folks don't look like you. They don't have your interest in mind necessarily. They're not parents like you. Like, It's so admirable to be able to stay the course because I imagine that burnout is incredibly real. But at the same time, we're not trying to scare anybody away. Like, It starts with people like you willing to be at the table, step up, do what it takes, be unafraid of the rejection and the fundraising. So thank you for being that person. Thank you for setting that example. Thank you for having campusers that look like you and can be inspired by the hustle. It's a grind. It's a hustle. And like you said, as long as you're willing to talk to people, it can happen. If they see themselves in your story, if they're social, if they're connected, if they love networking, like this can very well be a path for them. Thank you for doing that work and bringing people up right behind you, young women right behind you. So we've come to the point of our podcast where we love to ask this question. It's our favorite question. Uh, What advice would you give your 25-year-old self? 25-year-old self, that was a tough time. I I think that's a transition age for me. Um, I was very, uh, I'm an overachiever, I think. I was very ambitious. And I thought, I used to think 30 was old, like 30 years old. So my goal was by the time that I was 30, I was going to 
have a son and a daughter own a house and I was going to be done with my bachelor's degree. So by the time I was 25, I was done with my bachelor's. Um, I think I had finished my master's and I already had a son and I did, and I did have a house. I started working on my master's degree and I would give the advice to myself of take your time and it's okay. You have many years. Don't be in a rush to grow up or be an adult. I wish, uh, my, my only regret is I never really got to travel. Um, when I was uh, at Cal, I took Italian uh, for a year because I wanted to study abroad. And to this day, I still have not gone to Italy. And And part of it is because my children and, and you know, now politics and, and my campaign. So I've, I've never been to Europe. I haven't had the opportunity to travel. And so I wish several of my college friends ended up going to, to study abroad or travel and so I think, you know, don't be in a rush to get married or have the baby or buy the house or, you know, there's there's a lot of time for that because um, I think I just fast forwarded too much. And so and also don't be too hard on yourself. You know, I, I was at that time when I was getting my doctorate, when I was in my 20s and early 30s, I was kind of down because I was divorced and single mom and I hadn't finished my Ph.D., and we kind of beat ourselves up, but I really did accomplish a lot. And, you know, my family's really good at humbling me. And my dad, I think, still doesn't understand <laughs> what my job is. He just sees me on my computer and, you know, <laughs> he's like, all you do is sit down all day. Like, why are you so tired? <laughs> he's like, come, come climb, come, come climb the ladder with me to pick the apples and see how tired you get, right? My dad's 65 and he's still out there um, picking fruit, you know, and he's strong. I'm, 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 I'm very proud of him. He's, he's a strong, uh, he's a strong Mexicano and he's, you know, COVID couldn't get him and he, he really is strong, but um, he, I have a lot of accomplishments. I, I love, I always tell this story. He, um, when I was 30, I ran the LA marathon and I was training to run the marathon and I finished the marathon and I, I, I had a medal. They give us this big, heavy, solid um, medal. And so I'm like, Oh, Papa, I have this medal. It's look, look. And he's like, I, I ran 26.2 miles. <laughs> He's like, he, he was like, Cobra, por eso? and I was like, yeah, about, well, I don't know, like a hundred dollars or so. And he's like, hi, Mensa, es gratis para correr en la calle. <laughs> 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 so I'm all proud, like, look at me, I got this big medal. <laughs> he's like, I could have given you that medal for free or a dollar at the Dollar Tree, girl, and we could have run in the streets. Yes. No, I love that. This story is so beautiful because it's so full circle because you opened up with, you know, your relationship with your dad and having to tell him you're we're pregnant. And here you are telling us your relationship with your dad now and talking about all your accomplishments, which he may never understand. But I'm sure that he has seen that that thing that was your problem back then. Yes. And all the solutions. And it really wasn't a problem. And all those people that you thought maybe took pity on you when you were a graduate student, they didn't take pity on you. You worked hard. There are all these connections to where we may see life in one way and it's really another way. So I'm really happy to hear that, you know, your relationship with your dad is still there. You know, you said you didn't talk for some time and you really had to lean on the ex-in-laws. And I'm glad that that has somehow in its way come to be where it is now. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for telling your 25-year-old self to slow down. You really started young too. So you would accomplish so much. You had already done the parenting thing, the home ownership thing, and still you're moving you know, a million miles a minute. So for those listening, just keep in mind that 30 is not old. 40 is not old. And you're hearing no. it from the people that are here now. And we thought that it was old, but truly there's so much life to live and go at the pace that is not gonna drive you absolutely crazy where you might quit. Because I love that in your story, Doctora Monica, you didn't quit. At the end of the day, todo lo que pasó, everything, and not any situation with your parents, with school, with life, with relationship, and you kept going. So thank you for that example, because it's what we want all 25, 35, 45-year-olds to continue to remember, not to quit. That's going to be the tip of the day today, that you have to ask for help. We say it all the time, especially in a career that may feel overwhelming, but it might entice you and spark your interest because I've always found politics to me, I find them intimidating. And I think I would actually be a good politician. The other things you say, like, oh, talking to people, yeah, raising money, yeah. But I think for me, I respect you so much because I think it feels like such a huge job with so many layers and so many things that you need to know, I have always found it very intimidating. And so if you're like me on the other side listening, oh, I have all these other things, but there's this other fear or this other excuse, find a mentor. 
find a mentor, just like Dr. Monica here said, Dr. Sanchez, you know, I, I leaned on Monique Limon, and we all have at some point leaned on her too. Like she's been an incredible mentor to a lot of us in a lot of different ways. So find someone there to make it less intimidating for you to really be able to achieve. So thank you for sharing that. I had one random selfish question. Um, are you Sanchez from your dad's side? Was he Sanchez? No, I actually have my, on my mom's side, my mom did not name my sister or myself after my dad. My dad's last name is Villalobos. It's actually a recommendation that my professor gave because, for instance, um, we do a lot of research at UCLA, some of my colleagues on women and Latinas, they try to track their academic um, um, accomplishments and achievements. And so women, sometimes they go on and get their doctorate degrees, but they change their last name when they get married. And that's when the, the records end. They can't find you anymore. So then they can't find you and interview you and say, where are you? Where's your job? So my professor, um, Dr. Solorzano, he says, women, um, Latinas, you need to keep hyphenate, put your middle name, keep your last name. So if I ever get married again, you know, I, I don't, I already have my own name and my logo. So I, I don't think I'm going to change my last name. Um, so I have to find a special man that's going to uh, be okay with that. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. You, I asked you this question even because, you know, yeah, it's true. I never changed my degree. It still says Sanchez. I've been Quevedo for, gosh, almost 20 years. And I told my husband the other day, like, one of my biggest goals in life is to write a book. And I told him that there's one thing I really settled on, that I'm going to go by my maiden name. And he's like, you're insane. Like, why would you do that? You've been in Quevedo for 20 years. I don't think he called me insane. But I, there's something about that where I thought this dream of writing this book has been over 20 years of my life, beyond being married. There's construction going on in my house. Like, are we so unlucky or what? We're leaving this in. Um I want to be sentious when I write a book. I want my last name to be there. If I have to hyphen it, if I, if I have to go by my maiden name, I think it's so important. There's something so beautiful about our upbringing and our name. So I get it 100%. And I hate that there would be people lost out there because we can't find them anymore because they change their names. But it happens for us women. So I hope you don't ever have to change it or you find that very special man and you can keep it or hyphenate it or whatever it has to be. So thank, thank you me. again for being here. We really have enjoyed this time with you. This is part two of our series of Latinas in politics. It's been a wonderful hour just getting to know you, learning from you, being inspired by you. How can our listeners find you? Obviously, so they can vote from you for you if they live in your community or if they want to give to the organizations you mentioned earlier or to give to your next run. I mean, they want to see more women that look like you represented in politics locally. How can they find you? Sure. You know, I'm on Instagram mostly. Um, you can follow me at councilwoman underscore Dr. Sanchez. Um, you can also email me um, at dr.monicasanchez at gmail.com. And um, that's the, the best way you can you can reach me. And I'm open to answer any questions. You know, I, I do get a lot of messages, um, email. I have three, um, three cell phones three laptops, uh, three email addresses, one for my personal, one for my, the city of Pico Rivera, and then my full-time job. So I apologize sometimes if I take a long time <laughs> to reply, things slip through the cracks, but um, we do, um, I do get back to you and, and keep bugging me if I don't, if I don't um, answer. And, and that's what I tell people. So it's, it's not an insult if I don't remember or if I didn't reply. It's just, there's a, a lot of plates spinning, so to speak. Really appreciate having you. As I've said, for anybody who wants to keep this conversation going, you can email us your questions. Our email is admin at leveluplatina.com. You can find us on Twitter at Latina underscore up there. Or just like Dr. Sanchez, we are always on Facebook, Instagram. That's where you usually can find us. At Level Up Latina is our handle. Thank you very much, Monica. Dr. Sanchez, thank you very much for sharing your story with us. <laughs>